Last week we spoke and listened as we saw the intersection of the scriptures in a topic that is so talked about in our world today, globalism. Interesting, when I wake up now, I, I don't get the newspaper, but I turn on my phone and check email real quick, check text to see if there's anything I needed to take care of real quick, and I also read through the news headlines. Doesn't mean I read the articles, but I skim through the news headlines. The first one there, just one week later after we shared the intersections of the scriptures and this topic the world has brought to our forefront of globalism, I see where the G20 summit or that group of leaders got together and the one thing they accomplished over these last few days of meetings was this. They approved a global tax code. Now, for many of us, we want to separate that part of life. Eh, it's them. They're trying to figure it out. Whatever. It doesn't impact me. But I stand before you today, as we saw last week from the Scriptures, that all life intersects. The Scripture cannot be set aside for one day and for one time. Life comes from God. And it's all life, not parts of life, not pieces of life. We cannot bend to society's thought that the scriptures and church and spiritual and religious things should be separated. They cannot be separated because God is over all, in all, and through all. So even though these things seem to be so far removed from scriptural things, they are not. The intersection, as we saw last week, is so in front of our face. What is being played out before us is the end times and the struggle of the world wanting man to be man and all-powerful and to take over. And the only way man can accomplish that, as we looked at last week, was to push God totally out. And we saw in history and in Scripture how that had been portrayed and tried for at least four times, and now we're in the fifth time, and all four times failed. This morning I want to share with you from the Scriptures first, I want to talk about, because we must be focused on the Scripture first, all right? So we're going to do that before we delve into the other part, because I want you to hear this. If I started this message Later on, you would be going, man, he's just way off. He's not preaching the word of God. He's, he's into politics and into the ways of the world. So we're going to start with the foundation of the scriptures. And then we're going to see how the world in which we live intersects with the scriptures. Because the church must rise up and understand it all fits together. As confusing as it is. As many parts as we can't explain, your life is being lived out as part of God's plan and the end of times. No matter who you are, we're all there. It's all part of it. It's all part of it. I want to start with this quest or statement. What does the Bible say? If you'll turn with me to Ephesians Chapter 4, verse 28. Ephesians 4, 28. What does the Bible says, say? The Bible says, 4, 28, He who steals must steal no longer, 
but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. If you want to read on this week, read the rest of that chapter, because it's pretty powerful too. What does the Bible say? The scripture affirms, as we just read, the dignity of work. How many of you love work? Amen. It's a privilege to work. It's not just a privilege. God has called us to work. Our society seems to have a different thought. But the Bible says, and if you take anything home, take this home, the Bible says it and affirms the dignity of work. What does the Bible say? Now turn with me to 2 Thessalonians. You'll see how this all ties together, I pray, here in a minute. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. For even when, we were, even when we were with you, you used to give this order. If anyone is not willing to work, that's what the Bible says, not Mark. This is pretty powerful. Now listen. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. What does the Bible say? The Bible affirms the dignity of work. The Bible says that. What does the Bible say? If you don't work, you don't. Wow. What does the Bible say? Look with me in the Gospels, Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 10, verse 7. It says this, Jesus speaking, Stay in that house eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Jesus says the laborer, someone who works, is worthy of his wages. The Bible teaches a laborer is worthy of his wages. What does the Bible say? Turn with me to the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 22. Exodus chapter 22, verses 7 and 8. If a man gives his neighbor money or goods to keep for him, and it is stolen from the man's house... If the thief is caught, he shall pay double. If the thief is not caught, then the owner of the house shall appear before the judges to determine whether he laid his hands on his neighbor's property. What does the Bible say? The Bible says here and also in Acts chapter 4, verses 34 through 37, Scripture affirms private property, money, goods, and actual homes and places to live. What does the Bible say? Flip back a page to Exodus chapter 20. What is contained in Exodus chapter 20? Here's the pop quiz. Ten commandments. The ten commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. You shall not steal. Do the ten commandments still pertain to our lives today? Amen. You better shout it. Amen. Just because they're in the Old Testament doesn't mean they're old. Well, they may be old, but they are still the foundational teachings of God the Father for us today. 
As we mentioned months ago, the Old and New Testament were titles that man placed on the Scriptures. But God wrote the story with no break. Therefore, all Scripture is good for us to learn. Scripture condemns theft as we have just seen. What does the Bible say? Look in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The Bible condemns those who covet others' property. The Bible also speaks, and we won't go into it right now, but the Bible also speaks of saving, being a people of saving and being ready for those times when we might need those things which we save. Preparing, preparation. The whole scripture is about preparation. The Bible talks about thrift, being thrifty. We are to be good stewards of that which God has given to us and that which he has entrusted to us. We are to be a man and woman and people of integrity of all that God has given us, our blessings and, and all that he has blessed us with and all of us have been blessed. Amen? We are also, the Bible speaks of investment. We are to invest in general. And first and most importantly, we are to be investing in the kingdom of God. You see, we, we've turned it. The world's turned it. We're first investing in us and our survival and our retirement and whatever the case may be. But if we first do what God has called us to do and invest in the kingdom of God, he'll take care of all the rest. From Old Testament Proverbs to New Testament Gospels and beyond, God speaks. We have just looked at what the Bible says. Now let's look at the intersection. Last week we looked in the Scripture, and, and, I, and I had to write stuff down. I tell you what, when I, God was, was pulling on me for the last week or so with this, it's like, there's no way... I, and maybe I just don't have faith enough for him just to speak it through me without writing it down. But I also knew that there was food over here too. So I want to make sure we get through this, right? Last week we looked into scripture and saw the intersection of our world and its movement toward globalization. We saw that the Bible speaks of it and that it is part of the end times. That it will fail just like all other attempts of man trying to go it alone without God. Just as we are hearing about globalization, so too we are hearing the term socialization. Although in a much quieter voice than globalization. So as not to raise too many alarms. But I'm here today to, to sound the alarm. To shout it out, to scream that we must hear and we must respond we must respond from the highest mountaintop to the depths of every valley. That we hear what the world, we hear what the devil is trying to do. And we will no longer sit by and let it happen. The devil is and has been hard at work through many a leader over many a year. As we have silently sat by, as the church has remained on the sidelines instead of speaking for the scriptures and speaking out the absolute truth. You see, we got it all wrong. We think we have to know our opinions to be able to fight back on that which we are being overwhelmed with. When in reality, what we must do 
is to look at the Bible, God's word, and let him speak his word through us to defeat that which is out there. For too long, the church has allowed the world to separate us. And we're going, oh, that's okay. We'll just do our thing and let it go. No, God has meant for us to be vibrant parts of his body and in the church, but not separating ourselves in the church, but being vibrant and active in the world around us. We cannot set by any longer socialism. What is it? Many times we hear the word and we just shut off. Doesn't pertain. I'm here to tell you it does pertain. And it intersects with the scriptures and is violently against the will of God in the way the world has presented it. Now I want to share the definition with you and I thought this was kind of interesting where the definition came from. This is how the World Socialist Party of the United States uh, of the United States defines socialism. It's the establishment of a system of society based on the common ownership and democratic control of the means and investments for producing and distributing wealth by and in the interest of society as a whole. Common ownership. Also referred to, if you look deeper, as communism and socialism. Socialists believe the world's means for production. Now listen carefully. Infrastructure, farms, factories, energy, natural resources, medicines, health care, and more should be under the control of the people. In contrast, the free market system of which we have been blessed to be a part of in the United States of America believes that people not governments should own and possess the things that God has blessed us with. Some might be saying about now, wait a minute, Mark, wait a minute, you're stepped down from the pulpit of preaching the word of God. You've gone too far. If that's how you feel, I, I'm not going to apologize. Because the scripture intersects with our everyday lives. It's time that we start to understand that and then be able to feel comfortable with it so that we can proclaim it when we leave this place. I am not running for president. <laughs> but for too long, we have segmented ourselves out of society. We have complained about it. How can we take prayer out of schools? We have complained about how we can take prayer out of the beginning of our government itself in Washington, D.C. We have complained about how the world has done things, but then we don't do a doggone thing about it. It says, well, wait a minute, Mark, I'm just one person. How can I do anything? But you are one person with one faith in one Lord, one faith, one baptism. You have the powerful word of God behind you. By speaking the truth, the absolute truth, and praying that God would use you and allow that truth that you speak to fall on fertile hearts and fertile minds, guess what? They cannot help but be changed. You can change the world piece by piece right at the coffee pot. You can change it in your desk. You can change it at the grocery store. You can change it 
at the gas station, but first you got to want to. And first you have to see the necessity of you and I as parts of the family of God doing what we're supposed to be doing. There's a risk. There's a risk. Last week we spent time first and foremost showing the intersection of current world events and God's scripture. Make no mistake. This is not just something that's happening out there. It's happening within the plan of God. Not that he likes it, because sin is controlling so much of that. And he gave us free choice and free will. Today we start out by laying a foundation of what the Bible says. There is no separation. As we saw last week, history, which includes scripture, every time man tried to go it alone without God, every empire attempt failed. The current attempt we are now living in, in which we know will be the final attempt at trying to bring the world together under man's control with God not being a part of it, it will fail too. As we know, this attempt will try to bring, as Revelation in the book of Daniel so avidly and pointedly give to us, it will try to bring the world together under the control of the Antichrist, and it will fail. The Bible says we are to work. The Bible says we can own property, and that it's owned by individuals, and we must discern what we should do with it and what's the best course of action that God would have us use that for. First and foremost, that we would reinvest that which we have been blessed with back into the kingdom of God. Not in our pockets, not building more storehouses for our goods. Kind of opposite of the world, isn't it? I was talking with somebody, and I, I think maybe Jim and Susan and I were talking about that. You know, the more, the more buildings you build, the more stuff you get. You build buildings to, to, to reallocate the stuff you got. But when you build the new building, what you find out is you don't reallocate much. You just fill the new building with new stuff. We cannot do that with the blessings of the kingdom of God. We cannot take the blessings that God has given to East Union Christian Church. And he has blessed us abundantly. If you don't believe that, give me five after, after service. We are to take those blessings and reinvest them in the kingdom of God. We are to reinvest them to feed people. We are to reinvest them to pre present the gospel to people. We are reinvesting to help people when they can't pay their bills. But we're not to enable them so that they can't fish for themselves. We're in the quandary we're in today because the world thinks we should take care of everybody on an equal ownership basis. That's not how it works. I feel bad that there are those that don't have, but many times they don't have because they don't know how to fish for themselves. We cannot be a part of that. I want all of us to be able to be taught and to be prepared with God and faith to use us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever we go. And you're going, oh, nope, that's your job, Mark. You're the preacher. No, it's not. I want you, when you're approached at the coffee station and, and you bring up and say, man, we had a great church service yesterday, and that person goes, whoops, I'm out of here, that you'll chase them down. <laughs> you didn't give me a chance to tell you why church was good. I want you. We don't have to be scholars. 
We have to be moldable, pliable pieces of clay that were discussed earlier in our service so that God can use. But it's our responsibility to try to absorb knowledge that we need so that we have a more comfort level so that we will do it when God calls us to do it. How many times have we missed an opportunity to share the love of Jesus with someone because we just didn't feel adequate? We're not adequate. Let me tell you. Let me take that off your shoulders. We're not adequate. In and of ourselves, I am nothing. But thanks be to God that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? You too, wherever you are, whatever your age, you can too. The Bible says we are to work, we have property controlled by individuals, and that people work together producing products to share with other people, even in the form of commerce. That's okay, folks. We're to save and invest and don't covet and don't steal. We are to do these things with God as our central core and our foundation. But I'm telling you, this thing that socialism, that they're very quiet about, totally contradicts or subverts these scriptures and many more. The scripture intersects. We must honor God. We must follow God's word. We cannot be silent. We must have an understanding of how all these things, even though man has tried its best to keep things separate, how these all intersect with the scriptures and are not independent of each other, nor have they been or will they ever be. We cannot bend to what leaders who possibly are not following the will of God dictate or mandate to us. Don't read into that any more than God is over all. He's in all. He has been, is now, and forever will be. Folks, what is going on has been going on in our world, in our country, and cannot be separated from God. We have allowed that for far too long, and look at where we are. Our motivation now is to speak the truth so that God, through the truth, will move people to come, to, to come home through Jesus. We will not change the end of the story. Listen to me. We heard a lot over the last year plus that, oh, when we return to normal. We will not change the end of the story. But we must understand how the end of the story is being played out with us a part of it now. That which has taken place is taken place because sin entered the world, period, end of story. And no matter how much of a revival we, we muster up, we won't change the end of the story. The Antichrist will come. Why? Because the Bible says God all-knowing knows what's going to happen. So don't turn a deaf ear. Don't think it's not going to happen because it is going to happen. There will be a tribulation period of time. There will be a rapture when the trumpet sounds. I truly believe it will be the best trumpeter in all of the universe that will be chosen to play that important note when Jesus comes on a white horse breaking through the clouds. Amen? He will. And if he chooses to do it in a white Cadillac, who am I to say, hey, wait a minute. 
Because the end of the story won't change. He's going to come back. That's when he says it's over. It's done. You've had enough time. I can't take it anymore. So it's going to happen. We will not change the end of the story. And let me ask this. Why would we want to? We would only want to so that we don't have to go through it. Amen? And who's, who, who are we putting first? We. Me. How many of you are praying that you go before all this bad stuff happens? But Lord, could you just extend a little longer so I can enjoy this other stuff first? It didn't work that way. The appointed time's already set. Where we play into it, who knows? Why would we want to change the end of the story? But we need to be aware that it's going to happen. We can't change it. Guess what? In the end, God wins. God wins. You don't have to stay up late for that game. You don't have to read the score the next morning. God wins. Our prayer is that we will come to the realization that it matters that we are in the race. And not just silent, apathetic bystanders. People's lives for eternity. Listen to me. People's lives for eternity, our lives for eternity, depend on us running the race. Some of you are going, uh-uh, I'm checked out, Mark. I am not a runner. This is a spiritual run. Everybody qualifies as a runner in the race. We will choose prayerfully to run, no matter the cost. I leave you with this. Now that I got you all running in this race, we can run with confidence. We can run this race with confidence, confidence, one, because we know who wins. If we're part of the family of God, we win. But we can run with confidence as expressed in the scriptures in Hebrews chapter 13, in Psalms chapter 27, in Isaiah chapter 30, and on and on and on because we have God on our side. Now somebody's going, man, this was not a homecoming sermon. Or was it? Because as we have come, we are going to go. As we know that this life is only but a temporary dwelling place for us, it's more of a homegoing anticipation. And how are we going to get there? Not by sitting around watching everybody else. We're going to run together.